Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 14. And then we'll also look in the back of our hymnals to page 935. This is a new chapter for us, chapter 27 of the Sacraments. Let's first look at God's Holy Word, 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 14. This is God's holy and infallible Word. Therefore, my beloved, flee from, immora- from, sorry, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? And then 20, chapter 27, starting in section 1. Chapter 27, section 1 of the sacraments. Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace, immediately instituted by God, to represent Christ and his benefits, and to confirm our interest in him, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world, and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. Let's pray. Our blessed Lord, we ask for the your holy word to mold us and make us. We pray that you would help us to believe in this, your word, that your word would define how we are to think and how we are to live. We pray, O Lord, that you would build us up in Christ through the means of your word and through our understanding and growth and the appreciation of the holy sacraments that you have given unto your church. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. There's a lot of <coughs> excuse me. There's a lot of preaching that I've heard in in various churches. In some churches, you actually have preaching that flows from the sermon into the Lord's Supper, and I think that's a beautiful thing uh, that we should practice here in this church as well. And uh, some of those truths that through the years that I've studied in that we'll look at tonight. Um, the Lord's Supper is defined here in this chapter on the sacraments. It's, it's a definition here in section 1. It says that the sacraments are 
holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits and to confirm our interest in him. Now, that definition seems a little complex, but the first step in understanding this uh, definition is to first look at what is a sign. What is a sign? A sign is something that represents a truth or reality greater than itself. In other words, the sacraments act as signs that represent Christ and his benefits. Like, in other words, uh, water, bread, uh, wine, representing something far, far greater, namely Christ and his glorious benefits of the Christian faith. Um, So again, in baptism, water represents how the blood of Christ has washed away our sin. Um, Westminster Shorter Catechism 94 says that baptism doth signify and seal our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. It's kind of an interesting definition because it's talking about water, and as the water is given in baptism, we are engrafted. That's another uh, illustration there of being tied into the the vine where Jesus Christ is the fatness and the root of the vine and we're engrafted into him through baptism. Um, In the bread of the Lord's Supper, the bread of the Lord's Supper represents the body of Christ which is broken for those who partake in faith. It's something, so in other words, it's just bread, but it represents the glorious body of Jesus. Now, the wine in the Lord's Supper represents the sacrificial blood of Christ poured out for you, Jesus says. It is, in, it is the new covenant in my blood, Luke twenty two twenty. First 1 Corinthians 10, which we read earlier, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, gives us some of these elements of the Lord's Supper and it tells, them, tells us how they, what they represent. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Now, how do we share in the body of Christ? How do we share in the blood of Christ? By faith and through these sacraments, we are united to Christ by faith. So by that spiritual union, you could say we share in the body and blood of Christ when we partake by faith. Now, there are many signs found throughout the Holy Scripture, but as far as sacramental signs, the only ones that exist are here in the Lord's Supper and baptism. And the reason is that these are the only two sacraments of the Holy Church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, Jesus did other things. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And we could say, well, that act represented Jesus as a servant of the people. It represented something greater than itself. But at the same time, it wasn't a sacrament. Jesus didn't say, do this in remembrance of me. He did it to show forth that he was the suffering servant. And we, in like fashion, should serve one another. Now, what are 
seals. How do the sacraments act as a seal? A seal is something used to validate, validate another thing as authentic. Now, here are a few examples. In the, old, in the old days, a seal was like a wax melted on a document. It was a, it was a scroll either folded or rolled up tight, and then they would melt this wax, sometimes a colorful wax, onto the, the seam where the document met, and then they would imprint it with a signet ring. And that imprint had the seal of the king or the ruler or the governor of the land, and that imprint on that seal validated, it validated that document as belonging to or coming from the ruler. That's how you knew it was authentic. And that's what, this, that's what the sacraments are called. They are seals that validate those who partake by faith as authentically his. Now, a couple other examples of seals. A modern, a modern example of the old signet ring is the imprint seal given by a, um, a notary public. You have a document to be validated. He takes a tool and he, he, he compresses the document and he makes that, that seal, that imprint, and that shows it to be an authentic document validated by a notary public. And that is required in some cases. Uh, another one, if you go to the gas station, uh, I guess I didn't remember this when I was ki- a kid, but now you see it. You see the sticker that's placed over the gas pump, and it's been validated by a government official that when this says 87% octane, that's 87% octane. If this says 93% octane, that's 93% octane. It's been validated by the government it's as a seal to show you that if that seal is broken, it's been tampered with. If something has cut it or torn it, you probably don't want to buy that gas. Those are seals that validate things. Baptism, it acts as a seal to go back and to validate. And you could say to yourself, I belong to God because I bear the seal of the triune God. In baptism, the name of the triune God has been placed upon me. I've been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If you've been baptized according to the prescription there in Matthew 28, 19. You have the triune name upon you in baptism. And that's something to go back and to remember, that I've been, I have God, God's seal placed upon me in baptism. I belong to Him. Our participation in the Lord's Supper also it can act as a seal to validate, as it says here, to confirm our interest in him. You could think of validation or confirmation as the same thing, right? Now, to have intimate fellowship is to sit and partake in the Lord's Supper. Uh, that It says in Westminster Shorter Catechism 96 that the worthy receivers are not after a corporal and carnal manner, in other words, not after a fleshly manner, but by faith made partakers of his body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. So when you sit and you partake of the supper, you say, I belong to the household of God because here I am and I'm sitting and partaking of this holy supper. I belong to the family of God because I partake of the supper. 
But on, on the other hand, if someone is under church discipline and disciplined or excluded or suspended from the Lord's Supper, you might say that maybe they should question whether they have their interest in Him. Now, the exclusion from the Supper should make a person question their spiritual standing in Christ. God, though, can use such a, an event, a church discipline, to help a person examine themselves, whether they are truly in the faith. Now, why does a church or a session suspend someone or excommunicate someone from the Lord's Supper? It's not because uh, they want to be mean and hold someone back. It's for the, it's for the reclaiming of somebody who's fallen on, unto sin. And God can use that for their growth in grace. God can use that for their salvation. Again, in 1 Corinthians, in the case of the incestuous man, the church under Paul's uh, encouragement disciplined him. And I believe in 2 Corinthians, the man repented and came back. God reclaimed that sinner from a heinous sin because if not, if, if for him not being excommunicated, he probably would have continued on in his way. In some churches, people, people live in, in, in terrible sin as they go and partake, still partake of the Lord's Supper. But God can use such a restriction and a, and a holding back for the reclaiming of a, such of a sinner. Now, section 1 goes on to teach that the sacraments put a visible difference between those who belong unto the church and the rest of the world and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. Jesus gives an ultimatum. Matthew 12, 30. You are either for me or against me, and he who does not gather scatters. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now, I saw this in a documentary about Haiti. It's, it's very common, and it has been uh, for some years, that people in Haiti uh, practice the Roman Catholicism. They've been taught by their families, maybe their grandparents, parents, to become Roman Catholics. But there's a big problem with what we call integrationism. They might go to Mass on one day, but then maybe on a Saturday or Friday night, they go and they, they all dress in white and they'll slaughter a chicken or something in a, in a voodoo ceremony and dance around in circles and throw the blood all over each other. Now, that's why I read this particular passage in 1 Corinthians 10. Um, you, you could probably say that what was going on in 1 Corinthians 10 should remind us of this situation that currently goes on in, in Haiti. Those kind of folks who are participating, trying to have one foot in paganism and one foot in the church, should heed this particular passage. Let's look at uh, verse 20 and following. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, the things sacrificed in the voodoo ceremony, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Or, or 
we are not stronger than he, are we? And the answer is absolutely not. Are we? Again, those who practice such integrationism of one hand in the church and one hand in voodoo, we see very little visible difference between, between those who belong to the church and the rest of the world. Again, that's what the, confe- that's what the sacraments should do. The sacraments should show us as having a stark difference between those who belong to the church and those who belong to the world. You're either for him or against him. Now, baptism in Christ and participation in the Lord's Supper means that you cannot legitimately live in any way that you want and still call yourself a Christian. Your participation in these sacraments mean that there is a visible difference between you who belong to the church and the rest of the world. Your calling in Christ is to solemnly engage in the service of God in Christ according to his word. So if you've been baptized and you partake of the Lord's Supper, you are to be solemnly engaged in being different than the world. And we'll look at a few passages on this. Uh, Romans 6, regarding baptism, is the first that I want us to look at. Romans 6, starting at verse 3. Uh, Actually, we'll start at verse 1. Romans 6, starting at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall sin, I mean, how shall we who died to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. If God's name is upon you, if you've been baptized, you are called to walk in newness of life. You're not called to live any way that you want. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing here. It, this is, again, that spiritual union. Uh, like it says here, we have been baptized into his death. When, by faith, we trust in Jesus Christ, we have a union with him, just like it says in Ephesians, we've been exalted with Christ. Here, we've been buried with Christ through baptism. We've been buried through that. um, Just as Christ died, our sins were put to death and they were buried in the grave. That's why we have to bear them no longer because Christ bore them for us if we believe in him by faith. But again, we don't take the grace of God and say, well, shall we then, what shall we do? Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? And the whole argument here is no. Because you've been bought with a price and Christ has been raised from the dead. Why? So that that same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead 
It's not just to raise you on the last day. That same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you to new life in Christ in this life. In other words, the same power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ can work in you to help you grow in sanctification. Another passage is Galatians 3. Let's turn there. Galatians 3.22 and following. Again, this is a little bit of the schoolmaster um, language here. It says um, in Galatians 3.22, starting, yeah, starting verse 22, But Scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that by so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you all were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So again, we... We talk about, in, in Romans, this baptism represented us being buried with Christ. Our sins being laid in the grave with Christ, you could say. But here, baptism represents being clothed with Christ. A beautiful imagery. In other words, it's not that, it's not that you are just washed from, from your sins and made white and pure on that day of judgment when God looks upon a true believer in Christ he doesn't see your sin and wickedness he sees you clothed in Christ through baptism it's a beautiful piece of imagery and it's it talks about in the confession that when we have this baptism it's that we're solemnly engaged to the service of God in Christ To be clothed with Christ, to have his garments upon us, we're solemnly engaged in the interest of Christ here. And we're no longer um, male, female, but we're all one in Christ. We belong to Christ and we are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. When God made his promises to Abraham that his descendants would be as the sand of of the sea and as the stars of the sky... We are the fulfillment of that through the holy gospel of Jesus Christ. Another passage that talks about our service um, to God in, through Christ according to our baptism, our, our, the sacraments, is found in 2 Corinthians five fourteen and 15. And it's listed there in your outline. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, 
that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but from him who died and rose again on their behalf. So when you witness a baptism and someone is baptized into Christ, you remember a person, especially when it's an adult baptism, that person is professing that they no longer live for themselves, but they belong unto him who died and rose again on their behalf. When you take the Lord's Supper, you're testifying that I don't belong to myself any longer. I've been bought with a price. What's the price? The blood of Christ, the body of Christ. I no longer belong to myself, but I belong to him who died and rose again on my behalf. And that's a beautiful passage for us to consider when we partake of the Holy Sacraments. Our monthly participation in the Lord's Supper should help us to guard ourselves against sin and other immorality. Um, Each time we partake, we should be reminded, we are not our own, for we have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Now, I don't know about you, but when the Lord's Supper is coming up, and maybe I'm tempted for a particular sin, I can say to myself, well, how could I partake of the Lord's Supper in good conscience if I do X, Y, or Z? I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I have to glorify God with my body. I have to remember that I no longer live for myself, but I live for my blessed Savior who died and rose again on my behalf. Therefore, when I take the Lord's Supper, I do so remembering those things. And that's something that we should each do. Let's pray together. Our blessed Lord, we thank you for your holy sacraments. We thank you for your holy sacraments that are a sign and seal and even a mark of our engagement that we belong unto you. And we pray, O Father, that we long for that day when that engagement becomes a reality in the consummation of all things. When we get to see our blessed Lord Jesus face to face in the new heavens and the new earth. Oh God, we do pray that you would help us to long, um, Lord, to serve you more and more. We pray that you would help us to keep a a short account uh, regarding the sins that so easily beset us. Help us to be quick to turn from these wicked sins. And Lord, help us to cling unto the, the blessed Lord Jesus Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in grace by means of your sacraments and help us to grow in our appreciation of what you have done for us through Jesus our Lord. Help us in these things to lift up Christ for all to see. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to 196. At the Lamb's High Feast we sing. 196. Let's stand and sing.